Coming up on golf today, two-time major champ Jin Young Ko joins us from Naples ahead of her title defense at CME. What is the state of her health and her game ahead of the season finale? And he's a sucker for golf. Pop superstar Nick Jonas makes a visit from New York City. Talk about his new collaboration with PXG. What are the levels of his game? How close to breaking par does he still get jealous when he can't play golf? And world number one Rory McIlroy meets the media in Dubai offering strong opinions on the PGA Tour and live. What did he say about Greg Norman? Find out next on Golf Today. Golf Today. I think Greg needs to go. I think he needs to just exit stage left and Look, he's, he's made his mark, but I think now is the right time to, to sort of say, look, you've, you know, you've got this thing off the ground, but no one's going to talk and, unless, you know, there's an adult in the room that can actually try to mend fences. Um, and if those two things happen, then things can, things can happen. But right now, um, it's a stalemate because it, there can't be any other way. So... Hopefully something can happen, who knows, but, but right now, um, I think the, the two separate entities, PJ Tour, European Tour, and Live, they're just going to keep going both their separate ways, and, and one's a very different product to the other, and they're just going to keep going until you know, something happens, and whether that's in the, the hands of a court or a judge, or if something else happens along the way, no one really knows, but right now, it seems like it's just a bit of a stalemate. Damon Hack with Eamon Lynch, Rory McIlroy in Dubai talking about CEO of Live Golf, Greg Norman needing to go, saying these fences needed to be mended between the PGA Tour and Live. How do you mend these fences, Eamon Lynch? What did he mean? I don't know if he's talking about mending fences between the various tours as opposed to perhaps between the players as well. What the comments did show was the distaste that Rory McIlroy has for Greg Norman, which is not a minority opinion among a lot of players who have distaste for Greg, including some who are actually being paid by Liv right now. But ultimately, this is not a Greg Norman problem here. The problem with Liv is where the money's coming from, what the purposes of Liv is for, which is essentially sports washing the Saudis' human rights record. And that issue is not really going away at all. And it really begs the question of what a resolution to this would ultimately look like. Is it Based on the conversations I've had with Rory McIlroy, I suspect his idea is that these are two separate entities, drop litigation, stop trying to wedge your way into the ecosystem and just you do what you're going to do, we're going to do what we're going to do. On the other side of it, I don't think what he's intending is what some people will now pretend is the solution, which is that they ought to be welcomed into the broader golf ecosystem because there is no circumstances in which Saudi investment in golf can be made clean. Mm. It, it, any acceptance of Saudi money in golf on behalf of the government of Saudi Arabia will come at great commercial and reputational ruin for the sport of golf. But you're not hearing any capitulation whatsoever from Rory McIlroy, you know, maybe missing the competitive juice that a Brooks Kepka would bring or a Bryson DeChambeau or a Cameron Smith. You don't see those comments in Dubai earlier today of the DP World Tour finale as being 
a player who maybe is getting weary and tired of this line of questioning and saying, you know, doggone it, let's just find some sort of resolution where the best players in the world are all united again. If he was getting weary of the line of questioning, I'm sure he would have told people mm. that, but it's, it's got to be worrying him at some point. And he's made the point that he does want to compete against the best players in the world. But ultimately, if, whatever the resolution is, and he mentioned it could come from the various litigation that's out there, he talked about something else may happen, which that could be the Saudis simply get bored or get embarrassed by the lack of traction and pull the plug on it. So there, there's so much unknown here. You know, he's a golfer. He, he wants to play against the best players in the world. Whatever this is resolved, it's going to come from the PGA Tour's board. And the, today, the PGA Tour added Jimmy Dunn to its board. And Jimmy Dunn has painful memories of what happened on September 11th in this country. And he's been very vocal on the issue of the Saudis in, in golf and the live product itself, which he's dismissed as, as mere exhibition golf. So there isn't really an appetite for welcoming live golf into a broader golf ecosystem because I think a lot of people, including Rory McIlroy, know what the potential cost of that would be. But to hear Rory McIlroy say, remove <laughs> Greg Norman as CEO would sound to some like you remove the World Golf Hall of Fame member and then some sort of discussions can take place. Is this just a, a function of Rory McIlroy being so thoughtful and so uh, you know, much of a, of a, of a uniter and, and so much of wanting no conflict in the game that, that he's maybe talking himself into a little bit of a pickle by even suggesting that you remove Greg Norman and then some sides, some adults can come to the table. Well, not everyone in Northern Ireland is conciliatory as mm. Rory McIlroy is. I, I take the blame <laughs> on that one. I think what he's talking about is the, the nature of the public comments Greg Norman has been making repeatedly don't help resolve any situation. Because Greg has attacked the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, mm. the official World Golf Rankings, all of the majors by name. and alleging a conspiracy against him. And it just seems like there's this kind of narcissistic grievance going on that's the entire Live Tour is associated with Greg Norman. It has many issues, Live Tour. Greg Norman and his personality are the least troubling among them. But it's certainly the most public face of Live. It does seem like, to me anyway, that the PGA Tour, what it represents in terms of how it presents its competition versus what Live Golf is, where, where the money comes from, or even from a competitive standpoint, 54 holes, shotgun starts, the, the money not seeming to match the performance that we're seeing inside those ropes. How much do you see these two products just anathema with one another at loggerheads? Uh, I mean, even from a competitive standpoint, I don't see how you would make it work, let alone where that money is coming from for Liv. And this really comes down to what lens you choose to see the Liv issue from. And there are really three lenses. If you're the PGA Tour, you see it really through a commercial lens, that mm. this is a business threat. If you're right. a player, you see it through a competitive lens. Mm. And is there a competitive integrity to what the product is? And in my case, I see it purely through a moral lens. And mm. to me, I, I can't get past that part of it, that it is purely where the money's coming from. Who's throwing the money out doesn't really matter. Who Greg Norman is bestowing the riches upon. It, to me, the issue is where the money's coming from and what the intent of it is. And that's really not going to change with a change in leadership out there. Roy McIlroy continuing to be a spokesperson in this game. We'll hear from much more from Roy McIlroy in just a little bit. Well, over in the more sedate precincts of the LPGA Tour, it was a big Sunday for Nelly Corda, who defended her title at the Pelican Women's Championship. Corda shot a final round 64 to finish one stroke ahead of Lexi Thompson. The win marked Nelly's eighth on the LPGA Tour and returned her to the number one spot in the Rolex Women's Rankings.
All right, pal, this week the LPGA Tour ends its 2022 season by crowning the race to the CME Globe champion. The CME Group Tour Championship at Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida begins Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time right here on Golf Channel. Let's take a look at how the top 10 stack up. Former world number one Jin Young Ko enters the week at number 19. Typically we see the top players win this event. Jin Young Ko, Young Kim, Lexi, Area, Lydia, to name a few. Every player in the field, though, has a chance to win. And right now, we're joined by the 13-time LPGA Tour winner and defending champ, Jin Young Ko from Naples. So you're a two-time defending champ this week, 41 under par in your last eight rounds at Tiburon. Why does this golf course set up so well for your game? <laughs> I have no idea. I just focus on my game and... I played well last two years, so that's why I shoot 41 under par last eight rounds. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I, I want to know why I'm playing really good at this golf course. Jin Young, when you came here in 2021, you won. When you came here in 2020, you won. How much different do you feel coming here this season than you did those last two years? Well, last two years I played really good and I had great vibes in last year. But this year is typically a little different, but I hope I'm playing better like last year. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed, but you've been dealing with this wrist <laughs> injury for quite some time. How much is your wrist still bothering you at this point in the season? Well, it's not good, but it's okay. I'm going to I'm going to tough it out. It's last tournament, so I can do it. Well, you've done it before. I know last year you didn't maybe practice as much between rounds, didn't hit as many golf shots before the rounds. What type of precautions will you have to take this week? Will you limit your practice time, for example? Well, I didn't practice at the range last two days. I played just on the course and I'm not gonna go to the range this week, whole week, I think. And I just want to protect my wrist in during this tournament. Um, well, it's okay, it's okay. I will get medicines and I will tape on it. Just how healthy are you, Jin Young? Are you saying you're 90% healthy? Are you 50% healthy? Or are you somewhere in between in terms of where you want to be? Um, I would say 50%, yes. After this week, the off-season begins. How will you spend the next couple of months? How much rest compared to how much work in practice in like December and January, for example? It's How much time will you take uh, to rest this off-season, Jin Young? Well, it sounds like we might have lost her. I think we have. Yeah, we appreciate the world number two joining us. I tell you, it's been really the story of the last year for her. It has been trying to play through this wrist injury. She was able to do it last year in stunning style, winning 23 under par, the number. <laughs> Where do you see her at this point trying to kind of play through this injury and, and kind of keep pace with the Lydia Coes and the Minji Lees? 
It makes you wonder if she's not really overreaching because she had a fairly poor performance, certainly by her standards, in Thailand at the BMW Ladies Championship and didn't break 80 in the first round there. She's struggled over the last few months pretty noticeably compared to a standard of not even the standard she'd set for herself last year, mm. which was an epic standard, but just against average PGA Tour LPGA Tour standards, she's been struggling in the second half of this year noticeably. And hearing her say that she's only at 50%, to me, that's worrying because if you're at 50%, should you be out there mm. at all? Is the question, is there a danger of doing longer term damage? I'm assuming that based on her medical advice and her own position, she doesn't believe there's any further risk associated in being out there playing, but it doesn't give you a lot of hope that we might see the three-peat here yeah. if she thinks she's only 50%. Well, Jin Youngko joins us once again from Naples. We appreciate your time. My question to you, Jin Youngko, is how much time will you take off during the off-season so that your risk can get back to 100% as opposed to 50%? Uh, yeah, I would say 50%, but after this season, I'm going to get rest a uh, few weeks. And I, I, I'm planning to go to Finland already, so it's going to be fun. Jin Young, you have won on the LPGA Tour this year, but when you look back at 2022, do you consider the year a success or less than a success? Yeah, it's success, of course, because yeah, I had won uh, first tournament in Singapore and it was great start. But you know, it's a lot of players has up and downs during the season, so it's same as me. So it happens. Um, I can accept everything, and I'm ready to play like next year already. Well, you've accomplished so much in this game already. Brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. 30 years from now, when you are retired and you kick your feet up on the couch, what will you have wanted to achieve in this game? Oh, I said, I, pardon, say again? When you reflect on your career 30 years from now, what will you have wanted to accomplish in this game? Um, well, um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just, practice hard before during the season and we have great players so I love to compete live with other good players mm, yeah that's it well Jin Young we wish you the best of luck this week and also a speedy recovery best of luck going for three in a row and we'll speak to you soon thank you but our next guest has Damon positively giddy with excitement, and he's calm compared to me. He's a singer, an actor, a producer, fashion designer, and he plays a little golf too. Nick Jonas will be here to talk about his latest project, a golf apparel collaboration with PXG. We'll be right back. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back on Golf Today, you know him best as a member of the two-time Grammy-nominated group, the Jonas Brothers. Nick Jonas and two of his brothers, Joe and Kevin, formed the group back in 2005. Nick went on to have a successful solo career while also making appearances on the silver screen. Jumanji, for example, TV, Broadway. Jonas Brothers reformed in 2019, released the album Happiness Begins, which debuted as number one on the Billboard charts to 200. And while not on stage, Nick has also enjoyed some time on the golf course, making his inaugural appearance at the American Century Championship, Lake Tahoe this past summer, where he joined other celebs and athletes working on his tan, working on his short game. And then in October, PXG announced that they were partnering with the pop superstar to release a new golf-inspired apparel line, the PXG Nick Jonas Capsule Collection. It's available today. And to celebrate the launch, PXG is hosting a pop-up event in New York City, which is where we find the man of the hour, Nick Jonas. Nick, thank you for your time. I know that you're a sucker for this game, but how did this collaboration with PXG come about? That was a phenomenal intro, by the way. I got to <laughs> give you some credit there. Thank you for that. I feel like my whole life just flashed before my eyes. Um, yeah, so this has been a, a really exciting day. We, we launched the collab. Um, started working on this about a year and a half ago. Uh, so I, I joined Scottsdale National um, a couple of years ago, met Bob and Renee Parsons. Um, really fell in love with the culture that they created there. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously a big fan of the clubs, but but with the apparel, kind of their disruptive approach and their fashion forward mentality when it came to golf apparel. And so they, they came to me with this idea to do this capsule and, and I was over the moon. It always been a dream to do something in golf, but uh, my game has never been good enough. Uh, <laughs> credit me, uh, you know, having a, a line of my own. So to get to bring my fashion kind of cap uh, to this was uh, really fun. And, and the design team was incredible every step of the way. And, you know, it's really meant to be functional for the course, but also lifestyle and, um, that's what we set out to do, and, and now we're here. And it's just amazing to see the reaction in real time from people. And um, I, I'm going to send you guys some stuff. Make sure you kit it out. I don't know if we're quite the demographic here, but, Nick, <laughs> but I, I'm curious, how do you look at golf fashion in general? Is it too drab? Is it too stuffy? Or what are you attempting to change with this line? Well, I think that's the thing. You know, over the last couple of years, it's been pretty incredible to see how many people have come to discover this game and, and, and love it. Uh, you know, and, and I think that that, that new wave is, is really exciting. And so when you look at the fashion landscape, as it relates to golf as well, uh, it's been massive. And, and so I think the timing of this could be better. And, and the thing that PXG has always done so well is, is, you know, it's a real classic feel, but it's got that modern edge and, and kind of, you know, shakes things up, which I think is important. Uh, I don't, I don't mean to say that golf uh, fashion is drab, but I, I think that it's due time for, for some of these types of collabs. And if you look out there, they, there's a lot of them. And, and um, I think this is, this is a really exciting moment for, for all of us. Nick, how involved did you get in the aesthetic? Were you like Anna Wintour in Devil Wears Prada? You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, how much did you want to put your own imprint on this collection? 
yeah, I mean, I, I was thrilled to, to get to take my love for fashion and, you know, bring my, my thoughts to the table here and, and really help build, um, you know, a cohesive look across the whole, the whole uh, capsule. Um, and, and that really just starts with kind of my influences on the fashion side and then my understanding of the game and the need for it to obviously have the functionality it needs to uh, for, for the course. Um, so, you know, just a few of these images that we, we've got on the screen now, you can see it's, it's got that, that classic look and feel. But then things like the, the slides, for instance, which are uh, one of my favorite pieces, um, you know, inside the uh, see-through sole of the, the slide, you can see there are uh, spikes, not functional spikes, because that would um, probably be a little um, difficult to walk on. But uh, it's really fun to combine that love of golf with this love of fashion and do things that that uh, you know are a little unexpected. Nick, golf certainly labours under a reputation that dress codes at clubs can be a little too stuffy and a little too restrictive. Have you come across instances in your own golf life where what you show up to the front door of the club wearing maybe raises a few eyebrows? Uh, you know, I, I have been known to, to push the envelope uh, from time to time, but I, I also love the, the, the classic feel, you know, and I think that was, that was part of this as well, this conversation. But it's when I got to Scottsdale National and, and saw that um, a lot of those rules, and this is the, the culture that Bob and Renee kind of created to, to really make you know, everyone feel welcome and, and, and like they could just be themselves and, and express themselves how they wanted to on the course. It was really cool to see, and the, the clothes were reflective of that. So it wasn't always your typical, you know, must-wear-a-belt, long pants, tucked-in shirt, but just things that, that made you feel comfortable and confident, um, you know, knowing that uh, golf is already an intense and serious game. I think with our clothing, we can, we can express ourselves in different ways. Nick, in the life of an artist, there are ups and downs, praise and criticism. Has golf provided a reprieve to you in tough times, for example? Yeah, well, that's one of the main things I've been talking about today is just the benefits that I've seen, um, you know, from from playing golf emotionally and mentally. I think it's it's a, a really good sort of uh, analogy for life uh, in some ways and that, you know, there will be those moments that are really good, tougher moments and staying calm and cool under pressure is, is really important. And also learning to laugh, you know, when things don't go your way and, and you know, you, you feel like you were riding high after your last, your, your last hole and, and you make an eight on the next one. Um, these things happen in life as well. And, and I think that ability to, to sort of take a deep breath and, and approach the next challenge with, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of enthusiasm. And um, I, I think it's, it's a great game to, to play pre-show. That's one of the things that me and the brothers, you know, really sort of started to figure out while on tour is that it was the perfect activity during the day to get out there and, and you know, see the cities we're in, but also get some fresh air, some exercise. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's been really helpful for us as family as well. Who is your ideal clothes horse when you look at the PGA Tour, Nick? Who do you look at out there and think, you know what, I can help that guy dress with a little bit more pizzazz? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, listen, I'd, I'd love to, to see Rory rocking this stuff, and I, I think he, he might, although he's, I think he's with Nikes, but uh, he's one of my favorites to watch. Um, I love his swing. I, I love the way he approaches the game. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Jordan Spieth as well. I've gotten to play with him a few times and, and uh, shot a commercial with him actually for the Masters for AT&T last year. Um, great, great guy. Yeah, there we are. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be sending him some stuff as well. What do you learn from a Jordan Spieth or hitting batting practice with the LA Angels and Albert Pujols is there? What do you learn from high achievers 
in different realms of life? Well, when I've spent time with Jordan, I think one of the things I really admire about his approach to the game is, uh, you know, he, he's a, a real competitor and he's, he's, he's he cares deeply about um, the game and, and playing his best. And, um, you know, we talked a minute before about the, the ability to, to hit a bad shot and, and get back on the horse and, and, you know, keep playing. I think, you know, one of the times we played, he mentioned that it's just about approaching each shot as if it's a clean slate and, and getting up and hitting the best shot you can. And, um, you know, obviously he's, he's a, a, a legend and, and, and uh, just a, an amazing guy to spend some time with and play. But yeah, whether it's that or, or any other profession, I think, you know, people playing at the highest level, whether it's uh, sports or music or, or uh, you know, even an entrepreneur, everyone's probably going to tell you the same thing, which is that, uh, you know, it's all about uh, facing that adversity and knowing that um, if you take that deep breath and, and, you know, find it within yourself, uh, you, can, you can accomplish great things. Well, Nick, the collection is very, very sharp. I'm an XL. He's an L. I'm a size 13 as far I'm as those slides. I'm a medium, thank You're you. You're a medium. I apologize. Uh, Body shaming me. <laughs> yeah, it must have been the breakfast of earlier today. Uh, Listen, I'll, best... I'll get you guys some options. They're beautiful, beautiful. Listen, enjoy the day in New York City, uh, his hometown now, my hometown back in the day, and we'll speak to you soon, buddy. All right, all the best, guys. Thank you so much. All right, he is Nick Jonas. As we go to break, one last look at the new collaboration between PXG and Nick Jonas. Golf today. Continues. There are those slides. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on golf today, huge Sunday for Tony Finau, who picked up his fifth win on the PGA Tour, took home the title at the Cadence Bank Houston Open. The win marking his third in his last seven starts on the PGA Tour. But some news today, field changes at the RSM Classic. You see William McGirt, WD, replaced by Sung Kang and the aforementioned Tony Finau withdrawing with injury replaced by Kevin Chapel, UCLA Bruin. Meanwhile, news yesterday as the PGA Tour announced a change to the PGA Tour University Velocity Global Ranking, the ranking which provides playing opportunities on the Corn Ferry Tour to the college game's top seniors will not immediately offer PGA Tour membership to the player who finishes first 
in the rankings this year. Also announced by the tour, a new program called PGA Tour University Accelerated. High achieving underclassmen can earn PGA Tour membership. Accelerated points are earned through following achievements, win a major college golf award, career best ranking in the WAGR, tournament wins including Division I, NCAA, individual, U.S. amateur, the amateur, etc. Participation in national team competitions and performance in PGA Tour events <coughs> and major championships, Eamon. So it sounds like these pathways are opening up from the college game to the PGA Tour. Yeah, it really does seem as though the PGA Tour is making an effort here to secure the pipeline of talent. And to me, the, the highlight of this is that accelerated program that we just saw broken down now because uh, it, not every elite amateur player is playing within the ranks mm. of the U.S. college system. And what you see there is the ability to earn a points total from you know, the European amateurs in there, the Latin American amateur, the Asia Pacific amateur. There are plenty of events around the world and, and, and national team appearances, things like that, which allow elite amateur players to accumulate points and potentially earn a pathway onto the PGA Tour. Now, it's extremely difficult to do, as, as the PGA Tour pointed out when they announced this, that Patrick Cantley, Colin Morikawa and Patrick Rogers would be the only three people, essentially, in the last dozen years who would have achieved that. Those are also three extraordinary talents who mm. had a great amateur career that you would want to see fast-tracked into the professional ranks. So it can be done. I want to ask you the same question I asked you a few weeks ago. Was, has the PGA Tour done enough to uh, kind of combat the pressure that Live Golf has applied? Well, that is, in a way, it's a subjective decision for every amateur involved here because for some people, they may choose to go straight onto the PGA Tour, which comes with a guaranteed minimum of 14 starts per the reporting of Ryan Labner on Golf Channel yesterday. It also comes with the half-million-dollar guaranteed income mm. that rookies get on the PGA Tour. But there are other rookies who may decide, you know what, I'd rather have a year of seasoning right. before being jumped uh, headfirst in, into the PGA Tour. Others may just say, you know what, I, I would prefer to just take the guaranteed money from Liv and go that direction, as Eugenio Chikara mm. did. So it, it really is a subjective decision. You could make the argument that the PGA Tour is essentially doing the best it can in this situation because you also don't necessarily want to give away PGA Tour cards like can be, yeah. but is one enough? I guess time will tell. A lot of talent in the college game. PGA Tour obviously wanting to protect the pipeline. As you said, one of those talented players, Ludwig Aberg of Texas Tech, currently holds the top spot in the PGA Tour University Velocity Global Ranking. Has had a strong 2022, becoming a finalist for the Fred Haskins Award as well as the Jack Nicholas Award. He won the Ben Hogan Award while also winning the Big 12 Individual Championship. And it's great to have Ludwig with us today. You have said that PGA Tour University is a great pathway to the pros. How much pride do you have in being atop the standings with everybody trying to knock you off that perch? <laughs> uh, it's incredible. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I think the, the university program is such a good program for us uh, college players. It gives us an incentive to stay in school. Um, it gives an incentive to work really, really hard. And, and this carrot that, you know, was released the other day kind of emphasize on that too so it's it's incredible um it's such an honor to be in this position Ludwig you're obviously the guy everyone's chasing right now but I'm curious how you would see your best decision <laughs> next year when when the decision has to be made would you want to jump head first to the PGA Tour on the big show or do you think there's a benefit to be had in a year seasoning on the Corn Ferry Tour and, and should the guy in number one have that option to do one or the other 
Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like, you know, being a pro is, is hard. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. That's not just golf related. There's the travel part, the recovery part, all that kind of stuff that goes into being a pro. And I feel like having a year on the corn ferry is a great way to, to learn those kind of stuff. I feel like, you know, in the past, um, it, it has shown that college players coming out of college is, is pretty good and they're pretty competitive, even on the PJ tour. So I do feel like, um, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it's a little bit different from, from person to person, you know, whether they want to do an extra year on the corn ferry tour, or if they want to try their, uh, their luck on the PGA, PGA tour straight away. Well, you grew up in Sweden, so you're obviously familiar with the DP World Tour. Where did the PGA Tour mm -hmm. kind of fit uh, in your mind as a young person in terms of something to strive for? Did you see yourself maybe having a potential home on the DP World Tour? Obviously, Live Golf is mm -hmm. making headlines these days as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like growing up, you know, everyone is watching the PGA Tour. Like, the PGA Tour is where you want to play, whether it's uh, – you know, the majors or the WGCs or whatever kind of tournament on the PGA Tour it is. Um, you know, for me, the European Tour has been a little bit closer just because it's closer to home. We have a PGA or a European Tour event or a DP World Tour event in Sweden every year um, that I was lucky enough to be a part of a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, for me, it's kind of a like I don't the the DP World Tour is a great way for me to play as well. Um, but I do think ever since I came here to college in America uh, was when, you know, for me, it was more of a, a, you know, for me, the PGA Tour is is in the back of my head, absolutely. How important is this accelerated program, Ludwig? Because it seems very clearly designed to give opportunities and pathways to elite amateurs yeah. who aren't necessarily playing within the U.S. college ranks, which could have been you growing up playing elite golf in Sweden if you weren't here. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, any time that us players, whether you're a, a junior or a sophomore in college or even if you're back home, uh, you always have the chance to get to the next step. And I feel like that step has been pretty hard before, but this makes it a little bit easier for us to do that. Um, so, you know, any time that we get the chance to have this opportunity that the PGA Tour University has given us, you know, I think everyone is going to benefit off of it. Ludwig, I'm trying to find some links between Sweden and Texas, but I'm having a tough time doing so. <laughs> they're, they're very different. What attracted you to Lubbock? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It is different. Um, you know, we have at Texas Tech, we've had... Uh, historically, a lot of Scandinavians, uh, especially Swedes, and obviously, you know, we've had some Norwegians as well on the team right now. Our assistant coach, uh, our use, old assistant coach was Norwegian as well. So there has been that little bit of a connection in terms of the relationships, but not really in terms of, you know, the, the culture and, and, you know, weather and that kind of stuff. So it was a little bit of a change for me, but uh, the people around it, uh, the people around me made it very easy. Well, part of your culture growing up was soccer. You were a fantastic soccer player growing up. As a parent of three boys who love sports, uh, why didn't you specialize in golf? Did soccer kind of help your golf game in some way? Take us through your athletic journey as a young person. Yeah, uh, you know, thank you for saying that I was a good player. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I still love soccer. I still watch it. I still play it as much as I can. I'm probably watching more soccer than I watch golf on, you know, the TV. So 
But I do think, like, at the end of the day, obviously I wasn't good enough to play soccer on the level that I play golf at. So uh, so that was the main factor why I want to stick with golf. But also I feel like any time that, you know, I have everything in my own hands, I like that. Um, I didn't like to rely on my strikers to score a goal or my keeper to, to, to save a shot or whatever. So I like to have it in my own hands, uh, and I think that's why I stuck with golf. Well, self-reliance is a trait of number ones in a lot of sports, Ludwig. You're not only number one in the PGA Tour University rankings, you're the top-ranked amateur in the world of golf. Do you find as though you're putting more pressure on yourself to perform at the level of a number one? Has it changed how you approach your your day-to-day -day career at this point? Um, you know, I think that's a good question as well. I do think uh, it changes a little bit, but not too much. Um, I feel like... It is what you say it is. Um, you know, if, if you put pressure on yourself, um, you know, it, it comes from within. But, you know, obviously there's going to be more people around you, more eyes on you being number one, um, whether it's Wagger or university ranking. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm just happy that I am in that position because it, it, it's a testament that I'm doing some really good stuff. Um, and, you know, hopefully I can keep on doing that and, and you know, be number one on multiple rankings in the future as well. Yeah, you're handling all of your number one rankings just fine, Ludwig. Thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of your senior season. Hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. The LPGA Tour season concludes this week in the CME Group Tour Championship in Naples. Coverage, by the way, comes your way Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Golf Channel. I love Tiburon. I love the CME Group Tour Championship. So let's take a look at who's in the race this CME as the standings are finalized before the winner take all of it. Everyone in the field has a chance to win. Lydia Ko's a past champ. Ty Tittikin, what a rookie season she's had. Already clinched rookie of the year. Minji Lee, a major champ. Brooke Henderson added a major as well. Jin Young Ko, you see at number 19, spoke to her just a little bit ago. And yes, let's take a look at the players who kind of made it inside that bubble. Major champ, Eric Jutanagarn, 63. She's a past champ, has a chance to win. Stacey Lewis, couple major championships. To her name also in the field this week. For more on the week in Naples, let's welcome in Amy Rogers from Tiburon Golf Club. Amy, we're down to the final event, final 63 this week. And earlier today, I know you spoke to some of the players who were able to beat the bubble and get into the field. What's the latest? Hey there, Damon. Well, getting into the field here is no easy task. The field here at the CME Group Tour Championship limited to the top 60 in the race of the CME Globe standings upon the conclusion of last week's event. And playing well enough to get inside that top 60 is something that these players prioritize all season long and with no points reset that means that each and every player that does get into the field here has a chance to win the two million dollar winner's check that is up for grabs now earlier today as you mentioned i had a chance to speak with some of the players who narrowly got into the field here including caroline masson who got in at number 60 in the point standings Oh, yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's the, the last tour tournament of the year, tour championship. You know, I think everybody wants to be here. Uh, I had to sweat it a little bit last week. Um, so I'm really, really pumped to be here. And, um, you know, it's, it's my 10th season, 10th time in a row uh, in Naples here at Tiburon. Um, so I'm really proud to be here. All those years that you have played here, you've seen the point structure change. Who can win? Who can't? Anybody can win the two million, including you. How does that change your approach to the week? Yeah, I think you just got nothing to lose. Um, you know, just go for it, play aggressive. Um, I mean, everybody wants to win this. It's, it's, it's cool to have an opportunity to win it all. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily the right thing. You know, I mean, I think 
players maybe should get rewarded a little bit more for having a, a fantastic year. But uh, we're here where all 60 of us can win it, and um, I'm just going to give it my best try. Yes, it's incredible. I mean, um, everyone here deserves to be here, and we're all, you know, trying to win that two million. And I think I just, I just take it like I've taken every tournament, um, just one shot at a time, trying to play the best that I can, and we'll see what happens at the end of the week. Yeah, I mean, uh, this tournament has been my goal this year to get into the top 60 and make it to the the final tournament. I know it's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, purses this year, and biggest biggest winner winners check. So. Uh, that was definitely a motivator. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I was a little stressed, kind of like halfway through the year. I wasn't doing as well as I was hoping, but a couple of good finishes and uh, super happy to be here. Now that you are here, you got a chance, like everybody else in this field, to earn the $2 million winner's check. How do you then approach this week knowing that there's a, a prize like that up for grabs? Well, it's just uh, another tournament, basically, just trying to play my play my best and uh, see where that lands me at the end of the week. I mean, it's it's still golf and it's the same course as last year. So yeah, nothing else has really changed, but uh, other than the, the purse, which is amazing, but still trying to have the same outlook as any other week. Now, as I mentioned, there are the top 60 that get into the play, get into the field here at the CME Group Tour Championship, but there is one caveat this year because there are three players inside that top 60 that are not in the field. That's Jessica Corda, NB Park, and Lynn Grant. They drop that number down to the top 63. So getting in at 61, Pornanong Patlam, at 62, Stacey Lewis, and at 63, Aria Jutanagarn. Those three earning a lucky spot here in the field in Naples. David? Amy Rogers reporting from Tiburon down in Naples, Florida, where the sun is shining. All right, folks, our Golf Today social question of the day. It's the last week of the LPGA Tour season. We want to know what's the best story on tour this year. You have a response? You know, it could make the show the best storyline, the best story of the year. Amy, do you have one? What was the best story in 2022 on the LPGA? It's probably the same story to me that's making most noise on the PGA Tour, which is money. And we all know that kind of women's golf runs on fumes. And we had an interesting conversation with Beth Ann Nichols from Golf Week yesterday who talked about how when you look week to week on the LPGA Tour, you don't have to go very far down the list of finishers who made the cut to find people who actually lose money mm. on the week. So any investment that you get in women's golf, to me, is much more impactful than, than it would be certainly on the men's tour. And where we've seen that this year, has been in the major championships. And if you take a look at the five major championships in the women's game and compare what the prize fund was in 2021 versus 2022, every one of them has seen a significant increase. And the total that was played for last year in those five tournaments was $23.4 million. This year, it was $37.8 million. And there are future commitments to raise prize money in other tournaments, including the AIG Women's Open. And credit to the sponsors of those events like AIG and KPMG and Chevron, Evian, who've put up the money. But the, a key one in there as well, leading that arms race, is the US Women's Open, because there is an onus on the organizations that control the world of golf mm. to, to put their money where their mouth is. We talk a lot about growing the women's game, and we talk a lot about equity. Well, equity costs money, and the USGA put money in there. You know, We had an almost $2 million prize check for the winner of the US Women's Open. We have a $10 million prize fund. And the more we see of that, the, the better shape the women's game is going to be in. And to me, that was the storyline that really 
caught my attention this year. In the U.S. Women's Open presented by ProMedica, and I was with you all the way up until Sunday. I would have said the money is the story as well, but when Nellie Corder won for the first time this season, considering what she had gone through with the blood clot, losing some 17 weeks of competition, coming back, not playing the best golf, you know, taking some time to be comfortable back in contention and finding a way to get it done, and, and the sweet victory that she described to major championship winner Angela Stanford. And, and this moment here, I mean, 2021 was such a robust year for her, winning a major Olympic gold, becoming world number one, and then climbing the mountain once again and, and seeing this pretty steady, stoic competitor shed some tears after that victory outside of Tampa on Sunday. It changed my mind from the money to the moment for Nelly. Isn't it amazing in this game how quickly you go from one day you're the pigeon, the next day you're the statue? I mean, if we had this conversation a year ago, it was this great rivalry we were promised. Nelly Corda, Jin Young-Ko combined for nine victories yeah. last year, heading into the final showdown of the year. This year has been a very, very different story for both of them. Nelly just got her win after being out for 17 weeks with that blood clot and post-surgery. And now Jin Young-Ko still dealing with the wrist injury that first surfaced at this tournament. A year ago, hasn't won since March. Seems to be in a pretty dire place with her game and a dicey place with her physical health. Yeah. It really is amazing just how quickly the narrative has shifted it, on the LPGA Tour. It does, and it has, and it also makes me think about the, the greats that are able to do it year after year. You talk about uh, the longevity of a Beth Daniel, a Nancy Lopez, obviously Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky, Tom Brady, if you want to cross over into different sports. And, and I think that, you know, the, the last that has not been written of Nelly Korda or Jin Young-Ko. I think they'll have great days ahead. But my goodness, the, the athletes who are able to put decades of greatness together, it is very, very rare and very, very special and very hard to do considering the, the bumps and bruises of life. Especially when you have this narrative chasing you of, you know, a thiathetical and teenagers yeah. winning major championships and they're nipping at your heels all the time. You're constantly reminded of your own mortality. Even Jin Young-Ko, she's only 27 years old. Yeah. Nellie Cord is obviously younger than that again. So when you think back to the days of Julie Inkster as a mother of two coming back and winning multiple major titles and competitive at a high level, mm. well into her 40s. Yeah. It, it just seems like an entirely different era in the game versus what we have now. Traveling around in a van with those kids, one of the toughest to ever do it. Julie Inkster with the LPGA Tour season coming to an end this week. Let's take a look at the latest Rolex Player of the Year standings. You see Lydia Ko right now with a one-point lead over Min Ji Lee. 30 points awarded to the winner. So, yes, something to play for this week down in Naples, Florida, to determine the Player of the Year. But how about the Rolex Rookie of the Year? Done and dusted. Ataya Titikun of Thailand has clinched this award and been named the Rolex Rookie of the Year. Congrats to her. And speaking of the Rookie of the Year, she's going to join us tomorrow on the show. So tune in to Golf Today at noon Eastern tomorrow with more from the CME Group Tour Championship. Can't wait to hear from her. Golf Today, back after this. Hi, I'm Gary Woodland. I want to say congratulations to the first tee on 25 years. Hey, this is Maverick McNeely. Just want to say congrats to the first tee for 25 years of uh, service. Congrats to the first tee on uh, 25 years. Uh, awesome organization. Welcome to playing this wonderful and frustrating, but mostly wonderful uh, game we get to play. I'm, I'm so glad you guys get to enjoy it. Using golf to create 
a lot of, of value for kids. It's amazing what you guys do. Thank you for growing the game and keep up the great work. First T celebrating a quarter century. The program launched back in 1997. Announcement in Central Park, New York City. A couple years after that, the initial chapter of the First T opened in Indiana. 2004 Pure Insurance Championship. First T component launched on PJ Tour Champions in 2022. Yeah, Austin Smotherman of the PJ Tour became the inaugural First T ambassador. And speaking of Mr. Austin Smotherman, he's a success story really with the First T. At the age of seven, joined the program in Sacramento. His involvement with the First T helped propel him to become just the third First T alum to become a member of the PGA Tour. And these are are proud young men who've talked about the first team, what it's meant to their rise to the PGA Tour. Scott Langley, Cameron Champ, the aforementioned Austin Smotherman. I believe Austin Smotherman is joining us right now from the RSM Classic, native of Sacramento, an official first team ambassador. It's great to see you, buddy. Since age seven, you've been part of the program in some capacity, participant, junior coach, mentor, and now ambassador. Why has it been such an important part of your life? Well, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, the first tee, um, joining at such a young age, you know, I've been been developing relationships there, you know, my whole life. And, you know, I know that it's a, a big part of what led me to go pursue, you know, college golf career. And then from there, you know, turning professional and to be out here on tour and able to represent them where we travel week in and week out and see all the local chapters. You know, we have a first tee chapter in all 50 states. And, um, you know, it's incredible to see the kids week in and week out and, um, the fact that I was a part of it, you know, my story is just one of thousands that, uh, you know, we get to share and, you know, there's going to be more and more after me. That's for sure. Awesome. I'm curious if you think you'd, <clears throat> excuse me, you'd be a tour player if you hadn't been with the first team. I mean, did it give you a golf community early in life or was this always the path that you intended to be on? Um, it's a good question. You know, I haven't thought about if I would be on PJ Tour if I was not a part of the first tee, but I think I would not be the same person that I was out here on tour if I wasn't a part of the first tee. Um, the the life skills and lessons that I was, you know, brought up with um, at such an early age and, you know, winding that in with golf, then I just happened to be, you know, getting better at golf as I, as I progressed. Um, you know, I think the perspective that it's given me out here on tour is something that is invaluable. If my research is correct, Austin, we have a few things in common, some Sacramento ties. I used to write for the B. We both competed in the Pure Insurance, impacting the first tee at Pebble. What are your favorite memories from your time at Pebble Beach? Oh, my gosh. Um, just, I mean, that was one of my first up-close encounters with so many, you know, all the Champions Tour players and seeing some high-level golf in person. I think kind of, you know, first year I got to, I was lucky enough to play it twice. And so my first year there, I definitely got my feet wet and learned a ton from all those pros. And they were so generous with their time. I remember having a long drive contest with Fred Funk and, you know, I thought it was just the most surreal moment of my life. And then I got to do it for a second time and played pretty well that second year and got to play on Sunday at Pebble. And I remember making Eagle on number six to help our team out um, on Sunday. And it was, I mean, an unforgettable moment. I was lucky enough to play this year. I'm so impressed with the kids. Now, you're living a busy PGA Tour life. I'm just curious if word, you know, made it down to the range that I finished tied for second at the Pure Insurance earlier this year. All right. Hey, that's that's better than I ever finished. Um, 
That's, I have not heard that, but congrats. <laughs> Thank you very much. It never really ends here at all. I can't <laughs> wait until he goes there next year and see where he finishes. <laughs> but you've had a pretty busy fall already, Austin. You've played in, in six events and had a couple of top 25 finishes. What are you thinking then, last week of the season, what are you working on over the course of the winter before you start afresh again in January? Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to be kind of some physical and mental rest. I mean, week in and week out, we're, we're, you know, we're always grinding. We're always getting better. We've been focusing a lot on short game, um, putting and chipping. I mean, it's been kind of exposed, especially this past week out at Memorial Park when I wasn't hitting it too well and uh, things got out of track pretty quick. But uh, I feel like we've remedied a lot of that so far Monday, Tuesday <laughs> and a uh, little pro-am action tomorrow before we kick it off on Thursday. Let's reflect on your rookie season. You're only a rookie once, new towns, new golf courses. What was your high point and what was your low point of the season? I'd say my high point was was getting to play the whole West Coast swing. Um, places that I was comfortable at, places that, you know, going back to Pebble Beach, um, getting to play Pebble. I think I shot 63 or 64 round one, um, which was by far better than any score I ever shot when I played there during the peer insurance. But um the high point was playing these tournaments that I've always watched on TV and, you know, low point was, you know, having to grind out there, you know, late in the season um, just to keep my card and, you know, was fortunate the way some of those cards fell late in the year to be back out here with full status my second year. Um, wouldn't change a thing, you know, obviously would have liked to play better, but, you know, I know I'm learning and growing every single week and you know what, we got one more week to uh, do something, do something great. You'll notice Damon didn't jump in with a comparison of scorecards there for the rounds at Pebble Beach. Your first child hey, is due there, early. There were, there were two eagles in that round, so I don't know if Damon has a couple of those. No, on his. Eagles. no. did you make Damon? Zero, zero point zero. <laughs> your first child is due early next year, Austin. At what age is your son or daughter going to be signed up for first tee programs? Gosh, I'll, I'll be teaching her all the lessons I've learned. I mean, all the uh, all the core values definitely be a big part of our family and are right now, but. Um, however early they'll let me, you know, I'll, I'll put in maybe a special request for a, uh, for a little early entry. Well, we were talking during commercial, we mentioned our, our bond and our love of Sacramento. What was it like growing up with access to, to Hagen Oaks and that, those 36 holes, Ansel Hoffman, Teal Bend, you know, if you know, you know, as the kids say. Oh yeah. Those, those spots you named are, that's where I learned how to play the game. Um, I mean, the, the arcade side at Hagen Oaks. And then you got the Alistair McKenzie, you know, championship side where I've played, I remember turning 12 years old and playing my first 18 hole tournament out there because, you know, you had to, you know, prove you could, you could kind of hang with the, with the, you know, older kids. And uh, I was fortunate enough, you know, I had um, some other, you know, good players ahead of me that I was able to look up to. And then, you know, I always had Cameron Champ in our same chapter who was always chase, chasing my tails he always played up in age group because he was, he could. And, uh, you know, I've looked up to him, you know, he's a tour winner multiple times out here. So, um, to keep representing, you know, put a couple wins under my belt and, you know, keep moving along. Awesome. It's great visiting with you on this 25th anniversary of first tee. Enjoy St. Simon's easy on Southern soul. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you guys. Appreciate you having me.